Hi, I'm Steve Thomas. This is Cacophony. Let's dive into some great music. But first, a warning. This episode contains extreme dissonance and perhaps profound feelings. Big day in the life of America, Presidential Inauguration Day, and I wanted to mark it somehow. Since I first started playing the horn as a kid, I've always loved a good marching band tune. And there's something about American marching bands, and things like the inauguration itself, and that's that pizzazz, the razzmatazz. It's a showbiz glitter and sparkle that all seems somehow unavoidable at events like the inauguration. So I was going to play a nice, upbeat piece of band music. But that's not the whole picture, is it? And I think this calls for something more than a glib musical celebration, because it's not black and white, or indeed red, white and blue. So I've turned... Charles Ives, Yale University American footballer, businessman, author of Life Insurance with Relation to Inheritance Tax, and the People Power pamphlet, The Effects of Too Much Politics in Our Representative Democracy. Charles Ives was a maverick, Manhattan commuter, founding father of modern insurance by day and by evening and weekend, composer, who shunned the limelight and felt that money somehow sullied the art an idea taken to heart by the UK government that's just announced that any musicians can enjoy visa-free European performances, just so long as they're not being paid. And Ives's music is pretty maverick too. Way back in the early years of the 20th century, Ives believed that all music was valid, something that some classical music snobs will still disagree with. And he developed a unique technique incorporating this belief in music's wider power by dropping chunks of other music freely, liberally, into his own pieces. And he chooses carefully, but doesn't discriminate, making no distinction between white music and African-American, or country or church music, or high art music and popular music. And often, he drops things in at the same time and creates this amazing, crazy kaleidoscope of sounds and music that can be cacophonous, disconcerting, funny, and moving too. It's often music that clashes with itself, and is pretty discordant. He had no truck with those who didn't like it. If audiences didn't like what they were hearing, Ives would get up in the concert and shout, Stand up and take your dissonance like a man! Ives was strongly rooted in Connecticut, where he was born and grew up. A good chunk of his pieces are based in New England, and he was often musically inspired by a sense of place and memory. We're going to listen to three places in New England, one of the first pieces he wrote which got widely played. It's ambiguous, big-hearted, confusing, extreme, moving, ultimately all-encompassing. Classic Charles Ives. The first movement's title, the first place, is the St. Gaudens in Boston Common, Colonel Shaw and his coloured regiment. This is music about a statue, or rather a sculpture, by the artist St. Gaudens, a war memorial to the second all-black regiment, well, all-black apart from the officers, to fight in the American Civil War. The Colonel Shaw, I mentioned, led his troops in an assault on a gun battery, where half of the 600-strong regiment were killed, injured, or taken prisoner. As the excellent writer Alex Ross puts it, this isn't a piece about the war itself, but of someone thinking about the war by looking at a sculpture of it. It starts with strange, soft chords, and then emerging from the half-light, there's a memory of an old tune, a hymn here, a spiritual there, and gradually a bass-line marching tread appears.
In fact, almost all of the music is derived from plantation songs, parlour songs, bits of ragtime, and Civil War patriotic tunes. Though Ives describes this as his Black March, there's no military pomp here. In fact, it's barely a march at all. On the front page of the score, he writes, Moving, marching, faces of souls, marked with generations of pain, part freers of a destiny. This is Charles Ives paying tribute to all black Americans and their role in building the country. The music slowly builds to a climax, a single bright C major chord, but it doesn't feel triumphant or majestic as it often does. This feels like the troops' moment of destruction, and after it comes silence and the sound of tolling bells, and the music fades away. And if you drift away during that gentle fade-out, the second movement, Putnam's Camp, arrives with a bang. It's the 4th of July, to quote, some time ago, and we're with a child at a picnic, being held jointly by the village band in the local church. kid wanders away from the noisy festivities. Putnam's Camp is a small state park in Connecticut preserved as a memorial where General Putnam's soldiers had had their winter quarters back in 1778-9. There are long rows of stone camp fireplaces that still remain to stir the imagination. The kid heads off into the woods and has a kind of vision or daydream of cold, tired soldiers being roused into action by Lady Liberty herself. The soldiers march out of the camp to a popular tune. The child wakes up and returns to the Independence Day party. This piece is stuffed full of different tunes. Ironically, one of the most popular revolutionary songs was the march The British Grenadiers. And we hear that a lot alongside Yankee Doodle and many others. Often, all at the same time, and in different keys, and at different speeds. It's a crazy feast of as many references as you can gather together. And yet somehow it works. As well as making you smile at the sheer exuberance and spirit, it's sort of moving and stirring too. Ives's dad was a bandmaster, and Ives remembered that when he was a child, dad had once had two bands march past each other, playing different pieces in different keys, to see what happened, just for the fun of it. It's a trick that Ives really latched onto. The last piece is less historic, more mystical. It's called Housatonic at Stockbridge. Housatonic being a river. Stockbridge, the village in Massachusetts, where Ives and his perfectly named wife, Harmony, enjoyed a walk one weekend soon after they were married. He says we walked in the meadows along the river and heard the distant singing from the church across the river. The mist had not entirely left the riverbed, and the colours, the running water, the banks and elm trees were something that one would always remember. There's a poem, too, of the same name that Ives took as inspiration. So it's hazy, with hazy music. There are hymn tunes again. There's memories. Snatches. And all of a sudden, 
there's this huge climax. comes almost out of nowhere. From pictures I've looked at, the river's quite big and wide. And it's as though Ives suddenly replaces his quiet vision with the full force and elemental power of the river and all that water, perhaps all of nature, condensed into just a few seconds. And then that glimpse passes, and it's over, and the piece is over. I love these pieces, they leave me baffled. They're intriguing, complex, thought-provoking, and leave me with lots of questions. And all that makes these three pieces in New England the perfect metaphor for the wider United States of America. By turns optimistic, troubled, raucous and silent, solemn and silly. And maybe more profoundly, it's a piece about patriotism, belonging, culture, roots, inclusivity, and nature. I hope you enjoy these. Click on the links in the show notes to have a listen. If they provoke a reaction, and surely they must, let me know what that is. You can comment at cacophonyonline.com, or via the Facebook page, or Twitter, anywhere you can find me. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell all your friends about Cacophony by sharing it widely. Come back for more next time. Thanks for listening.